At Auschwitz, where 1.1 million people were killed by the Nazis, there is a plaque on a wall of the museum with a quote by John George Santayana, which reads this. Those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. We remember the Holocaust. We remember the people who were killed. We remember the distorted ideology which led to the horror of the Nazi regime. We remember to ensure that it doesn't happen again. And what about this pandemic? When we eventually get out the other side of it, what will we remember and what will we have learnt from this time? Will our remembering mean that the world goes all out to protect the habitats of wild animals so that they don't come into contact with humans so easily and pass on deadly viruses? I wonder what will actually change, what will actually happen to stop the past repeating itself? I wonder what your family history looks like. I know that down one side of my family, um, there are generations of affairs and broken marriages. As much as that history is grim, it's important to me that it isn't brushed under the carpet, that it's visible, that it's looked at. It's important to recognise and remember the fallout of all those affairs and broken marriages, to know the effect of what happens when people get distracted, when people turn away from God, turn away from their commitments. Those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Here in Zechariah chapter one, we hear the prophet calling the people of Israel to repent, to return to the Lord. He's saying to them, look back, Look at your forefathers. Look back at the previous generations. Look back at your family history, people of Israel. See the way that people got distracted. See the way that people sinned and turned away from God and then didn't respond to that call that I gave time and time again to repent, to turn back to me. And they found themselves in a whole heap of trouble. Learn from the past. Turn to me. Break that cycle. As we begin today to explore what God is saying to us through these ancient words of the prophet Zechariah, we'll see that this call to return to the Lord is a message that's as important to us today as it was to the Jewish people in 520 BC. Zechariah's prophecy uh, builds on the prophecy of Haggai, and whereas Haggai, uh, in Haggai, the Lord's focus was on calling the people to return to building, now, through Zechariah, particularly through these first six verses of chapter one, we see the Lord calling the people to return to relationship with him. It was return to rebuilding, now it's return to relationship. Verse three says, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. And even though Zechariah is prophesying two and a half thousand years ago, there's something familiar to us, to this world, uh, to this context that he's speaking to. The known world had gone through a period of huge instability and turmoil during the rise to power of King Darius. But we discover at the beginning of Zechariah 
that we are two years now into Darius's reign. And as one commentator puts it, the Lord speaks just as the world was beginning to breathe a little easier again. We find ourselves at a point in history where we've been through, and in many ways still are in, a huge amount of turmoil. And yet with the vaccine rollout and the relaxation of some of the restrictions, we too are also beginning to breathe a little easier again. We've got some space to take stock, to reflect, to look forward, and dare I suggest it, even plan. And into this context, God speaks. It's as though he stops the people in their tracks before they get too carried away. And maybe he wants to stop us in our tracks too. And he says to them, right, you have now made big progress with rebuilding but now you need to return to me and I will return to you. You've started rebuilding the temple. Now you need to focus on rebuilding your relationship with me. Return to me. The way that God wanted to build his kingdom then and how God will build his kingdom now is when people return to him. This call to repent is God's call to his people to take him seriously. Why? Because he takes us seriously. If God didn't care for you, if he didn't love you, if he wasn't bothered what you did with your life, what choices you made, what or who you worshipped, he would not be calling you to repent, to return to him, to take him seriously. And so the heart of repentance is coming back into relationship with God. It's not just about saying sorry for stuff, but repentance is a complete change of heart and it's essential for this process of restoration to God. Return to me and I will return to you. It's a call, if you like, to come home, to return, to come back to where we belong. The story of God's people through the Old Testament, referred to here by Zechariah, could be the story of all of us. The people get distracted, they make something else more important than their relationship with God, they wander away from him, they decide they know best how to live their lives. And time and again, the Lord in his love and grace and mercy calls his people back. He calls them to return home to him. Look at these words of Solomon, 1 in 1, uh, Solomon in 1 Kings 8. When the people sin, God gets angry and he gives them over to their enemies. But if they repent, if they have a change of heart and ask for forgiveness and then turn back to the Lord, not just with their words, as Solomon says, but their heart and their soul, then God will forgive his people and he will restore them and bring them home. Solomon mentions here that God's response to sin is anger. And again in Zechariah 1 verse 2, we hear that God has been uh, angry in the past with the Israelites' ancestors. And maybe this doesn't sit comfortably with you because we don't like this idea that God can be angry and judgmental, that God has such negative emotions. And it can make us feel that the God described in verses such as these in the Old Testament are at odds with the God we know 
of the New Testament, a God who seems to be characterised more by love and mercy and forgiveness. But when you look across scripture, you see that God's anger is always justified because it's anger against injustice, it's anger against disobedience and sin. And those aren't abstract concepts. God isn't angry at some ethereal thing called sin. But sin is made visible because it is embodied by people like you and I. And so God's anger is directed at sin, which is embodied by people. He loves the person, but he's angry about the sin that is committed by them. And so, yes, God gets angry. He's angry, angered by sin and the people who do it. But that's because he is holy and fair and he loves us endlessly. And that's why the God of the whole Bible is one who is slow to anger. He is abounding in love and faithfulness and is full of grace and mercy towards his children. And because of all this, this call of God to return to him continues right the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. John the Baptist cries out in the wilderness, repent, the kingdom of God is near, calling the people to come and be baptised, to be cleansed of their sin. Jesus preaches repentance. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He tells us there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. To that woman who was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus, thrown before Jesus, he saves her from that mob and he restores her and he says, go and sin no more. In the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus describes the son who has been distracted by the world, coming to the point where he's ready to repent. He returns home. He returns to his father and the father is waiting with his arms open wide, ready to forgive, ready to restore his son, ready to, to hold him in that generous embrace and welcome him home. Return to me and I will return to you. And then on the cross and uh, through the cross and resurrection, as Jesus makes that once and for all sacrifice for sin, as he smashes through the consequences of sin and death and makes it possible for us to be forgiven, for us to be made holy, for us to receive God's salvation, we're able to return to him. And it doesn't stop there. Repentance becomes a key feature of the early church. On that first Pentecost, as soon as Peter is filled with the Spirit, what does he do? He stands up in front of the crowds to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And right at the heart of that message is a call to repentance. He says this, Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you will receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is right at the heart of Christianity, not just at the point of conversion, but part of our everyday. I remember as a teenager wrestling with the whole uh, concept of uh, the sin and forgiveness thing and wondering why if Jesus had died for my sin once and for all upon the cross, if I was made a new creation when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, then 
Why do we have to keep going through this cycle of confession, saying sorry and forgiveness? I have a rug in my lounge, which I hate to admit it, but it's pretty impractical. It's a light gray and cream. Uh, and so not surprisingly, with the flows of people uh, and dirty shoes that go through my lounge, it can get pretty grubby. In October last year, I had that rug deep cleaned and it came up looking like new. But since then, we've had another lockdown, as we all know, and day in, day out, that carpet has been walked on. And gradually, it's got really grubby again. And so in March, it needed another deep clean. Our need to repent is not just a one-off thing, something that we do when we decide to give our lives to Jesus and become a Christian. It's something that we need to do every day because we're humans. And, and even there are, though our intention might be to live for Jesus with all that we are, we get distracted, don't we? by other things, and we live in this broken world which rubs its muck into our lives, and we get grubby. One theologian, Gordon Smith, says this, true conversion leads us to be always conscious of sin and our need to turn from it. Repentance is a strand of our conversion that remains a continuing and vital element of the spiritual life. For without its abiding presence, there is no transformation. God is calling you and I to return to him every day and to keep returning to him. And that repenting, that returning is part of our worship. And it's worship because it's in those moments when we realign our hearts with God's. It's in those moments that we give him our full attention and we say, you are the most important one. It's in those moments that we truly return to him and he returns to us. And it's then that God in his grace and mercy and because of the miracle of the Holy Spirit in us, gradually transforms us into his likeness, making us more like Christ, making us more holy, making us more like him. So let's just spend a few moments now responding to what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. Just pause for a moment and think about this question. What has the Holy Spirit been nudging you about as we've explored this passage of scripture this morning. Maybe you are feeling the weight, the burden of sin in your life. You know that you can't carry on like this and you're just ready now to hand over this burden. Maybe you've been on a journey to this moment and you want to decide right now to return to Jesus. And, and maybe this is for the first time. Maybe you need to return to Jesus because if you're honest, you've wandered away. It might not have even been intentional, but you found yourself in this place far from God. 
you've got distracted by other things, other desires, other people, and you know that God is speaking to you and the Holy Spirit is nudging you through the, the words that we've looked at today. Return to me, Jesus is saying to you. If any of these apply to you, then listen to this truth, this good news that we find in 1 John 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so let's take a moment right now to confess our sins, to return to God, to recommit yourself to God. We're just going to firstly be quiet. You might want to just uh, say whatever is on your heart to say to God in this moment. And then we're going to say a prayer together that's going to be on the screen. But let's just be quiet for a moment. Let's pray together this prayer of confession of repentance. God our Father, we confess to you and to our fellow members in the body of Christ that we have sinned in thought, word and deed and in what we have failed to do. We are truly sorry. Forgive us our sins and deliver us from the power of evil for the sake of your Son who died for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And God, who is both power and love, forgive us and free us from our sins, heal and strengthen us by his Spirit, and raise us to new life in Christ Jesus. Amen. And I'd encourage you that if maybe God has been doing something in your life this morning, maybe you have prayed that prayer for the first time and returned to Jesus for the first time, do let us know. We'd love to know so that we can pray for you and support you.